5,645 people are experiencing homelessness in Southern Nevada. This is the biggest increase we've seen since 2019. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I talk with reporter and contributor Michael Lyle about where this data comes from and how rising rents, stagnant wages, and application fees in the Valley are pricing the working class out of secure housing. It's Tuesday, August 9th, 2022. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. When I say, you know, it's real. It's like, I have books thick enough to put my laptop on top of. (laughs) (laughs) These are like, I use, one is like death investigations and uh, Ah! criminal investigations. So I'm sure people come over and like, (laughs) what are these? Michael Lyle, good morning, and thank you for being on CityCast. Good morning. Thanks for having me again. Welcome back to the party. But today's not a party, though, because we're going to talk about some really intense things going on in town. I know that you cover housing and homelessness. What's been on your radar lately? Yeah, so there was a story from another outlet earlier this year where a teacher was having a hard time finding housing. She'd paid over $1,000 in rental application fees and was Mm -hmm. not able to find housing. Rent is already expensive enough, but Mm -hmm. finding housing adds another barrier to becoming housed and to exiting homelessness. And Mm -hmm. and those barriers are rental application fees, higher deposit, income requirements. There's so much restricting people. So they can't afford their rents. They're either forced out or, or have to move on their own. And then in the middle of that, trying to find housing, they can't because there are all these barriers. So yeah, going back to that story that I had referenced, Mm -hmm. I've heard from people, application fees can run from $30 to $120. So she was submitting all these application fees for apartments that she was getting rejected for. And so $1,000 to be rejected and still not have a place to live because there's no regulations on how much money an apartment can charge during an application fee and to regulate how many application fees they can take. 10, 20 people are submitting, going after the same apartment. They all submit money and then none of them get approved because it's only, you have one apartment. That actually happened to me too. I remember a couple of years ago, I was searching for an apartment and so I put in an application fee for $60 on a Thursday afternoon. Friday, the apartment was no longer listed. And so I did email the agency. It was like, hey, can I get this money back? Obviously, you didn't run my background. And they're like, actually, we did. So we're sorry, we can't reimburse you. So it's a non-refundable fee. Yeah, there's no mechanism to actually hold them accountable. There's no regulation for them to essentially show their math, to show that they actually did put in the background check. And so thankfully, I'm in a privileged position where I could just eat that $60 application fee. But imagine you're surviving on a budget, which so many people are. And so to pay all this money for application fees, like and not even get an apartment, that's ridiculous. And the fact that if it's non-refundable, then you're eating away at this first and last month's rent that I'm going to have to pay to get into this apartment complex. And then also it's like, well, what are you using my $120 for? So, you know, you said it's not regulated. So what a landlord saying that they need these rental application fees for and why are they non-refundable? So they're saying we they need these application fees to do background checks, make sure people don't have evictions, to make sure mm-hmm. they have good enough credit scores, which we can that's that merits a conversation within itself about using credit scores uh, for apartments. But 
anyway, they're saying that they need this money to run all these checks on people to make sure they're qualifying. However, that still, again, does not explain why they need to take application fees for 10, 20 applicants when they only have one apartment, and then why there's such a disparity between apartments that charge $30 for an application fee versus $120 for an application fee. And the funny thing, I keep thinking about the 2019 legislative session, where they actually had legislation that offered some tenant protections, including looking at deposit fees and when people can get that back, looking at making sure your applications and leases don't have hidden fees attached to them, making sure any fees are upfront, and regulating application fees and the number of fees an apartment or property manager can take. That legislation passed on a partisan line vote in the Senate and then died in committee when the assemblywoman, who is a realtor, the realtors opposed this bill, by the way, she did not give this bill a hearing. And so I keep thinking about that whenever I hear stories like this teacher who paid $1,000 of application fees and still is homeless or was homeless at the time of that story to all the other people that I consistently interview that are housing insecure that have a barrier to get to housing and that's application fees are one of those barriers especially if we're, we're living check to check then yes you don't have that much disposable what a word disposable income to just spend on all these multiple places and they're taking in so many different applications and you don't really have a chance yeah um, it feels very dishonest and like taking advantage of people who are already in in a tough situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I feel like recently they said that rents in the Valley were kind of cooling down, but it it seems like kind of from the data you're pulling that that might not be true. Can you kind of help me clarify that? So yes, some reporting has shown that rents are starting to come down. I believe the State Apartment Association put out a report recently saying, hey, we're seeing a decrease. But the fact of the matter is people are still not earning enough to make what the current rates are. So if they were $1,000, went up to $1,300, and now they've come back to $1,200, people are still not able to pay that just because the wages aren't matching what the rental rates are. I referenced a UNLV study that came out earlier this year where it found six out of 10 professions of the top professions in Southern Nevada could not afford even studio apartments. And so- It's not saying that they're not living there. What that means is they're housing insecure, means they're paying more than 30% of their income towards rent and utilities, meaning that's eating into other aspects of their life, whether it's food and or determining whether I'm going to pay rent or medication. Even if they're saying these rents are cooling off, not at a pace that people are still able to survive and that it's not having an impact on their lives and how they live. Hmm. Obviously, groceries are hella expensive. We have application fees that are unregulated. And then we have the actual costs of living, just renting out a space. All of these things, there's an increase. And clearly just $100 is the difference between where a person will stand. So how does that all connect to the rising rates in homelessness in Southern Nevada? So we know both affordable housing and rising rents are linked to homelessness. Any social service provider, that any government agency you talk to will tell you that rents and affordable housing are contributing to what we're seeing with homeless numbers. But that's not just here in Southern Nevada. The United States Government Accountability Office found that with every $100 increase to rent, that's associated with about a 9% estimated increase to rates of homelessness. So 
rent and housing is directly connected to homelessness. Back in April, the United States Health and Human Services uh, Secretary Javier Becerra went and toured Helpless Southern Nevada, which is one of the largest homeless providers here in, in Southern Nevada. And they said, pre-pandemic, the night before the pandemic, they were serving 50 families. And then at that point, which was back in April, they were seeing 400 families. And so we are seeing more families are entering homelessness. Things are just more expensive. Wages aren't rising the way they should. Rents are increasing. So many things are factoring into that. But I think that's why we have to look at these homeless numbers a little bit more in, in depthly and not just think this misconception around homelessness of like, oh, just like that bum on the street was drinking away his paycheck. That's not what these numbers are really saying. So you just wrote an article and I'm curious, what is the homeless census? Yeah. So this is kind of going back to that count. Uh, the homeless census is just the annual count that we do, just doing an assessment of who's sleeping on our streets, who's sleeping in our emergency shelters, who's in our transitional housing, just doing a count of one given night. And by that given count, so this year we found 5,645 people sleeping on the streets at any given time. And so because of that, we're estimated to see about 13,972 people who could experience homelessness this year based on that number. But it also looks at racial breakdown, which hardly is ever touched on. Clark County is about 13%, give or take, Black. But the homeless census, they make up 37% of those count in experiencing homelessness at that given time. And so that's what the homeless census does. It gives a little picture about who is experiencing homeless homelessness at any given time. But there's still other questions I think that better reporting could do, and myself included. Uh, I always will criticize reporting, but I will always include myself in there because there's more I can be doing personally to explain how we get from point A to point B and how we start seeing more people enter homelessness, why, why these numbers are there. So who conducts the homeless census? And I know we know we've got the larger United States census, but who conducts the homeless census and how often? Yes. So it's a collaborative effort between Clark County, City of Las Vegas, City of North Las Vegas, City of Henderson. So all the government officials and then social service providers. So you have Help of Southern Nevada, Rescue Mission, Catholic Charities, and then volunteers. And so they're all come together on this night. It's usually in January. I think this one is in February. And they meet up in the evening, late night, and then over the course of a few hours into the early dawn hours, they just go sector by sector into the city and see if they see people physically sleeping out in the streets or sleeping in tents. They go into the tunnels, they go into encampments, they go into all the areas and try to do a physical, okay, who is out here versus who is in our shelters and who is in our transitional housing. Wow. I didn't realize that so many like different organizations are coming together to really get this information. I'm like, are they handing out water? <laughs> like, are you handing out food while you're out here just counting people? I don't know. These are just my feelings. What are other ways they decide like, okay, we know this person does not have a home. Is it the conversation or just the visibility? How do you decide who counts as homeless? Ooh, that is a good question. Because you're asking how, like, if you just see someone sleeping on the street, how do you know there's not a tourist that, you know, had a good time versus... Man. <laughs> Not just that, too. I mean, you know, if, if they're not able to have a full-fledged conversation or if it's someone, yeah, fully passed out or I don't know if they got kicked out for that evening, I guess. That's a good question. That is a good question. 
So the HUD definition of experiencing homelessness is living in places that aren't meant for human habitation. So that's physically on the streets, that's in your car. But there's a broader question at play, like what does it mean to actually be housing secure? And so we're seeing people that are doubling up on housing recently. We're seeing people in weekly motels. I think the homeless census doesn't take into factor some of the places that humans are not housing secure. So whether they're living with a relative, whether they're couch surfing, I think some of the couch surfing comes into it, but that's a very hard question because you don't know if like some person just had to stay with their family for six months. Like that's hard to assess during the homeless count per se. And so there are some nuances to just straight up homelessness to who in our community is housing insecure and like doesn't have a roof of their own over their head. I feel like I'm hearing you say like, this is really about vulnerability. It feels like the homeless census is already counting people who are visible, that are out in the world and you can tell by certain elements of how they look that they are experiencing homelessness versus we have people who are maybe on the edge of that. So living in your vehicle, maybe you were counted, maybe you weren't living with family members, but like family members also, like, you never know. <laughs> there might be a day where they're like, get out. And then that's it. You didn't follow some rule or you came home after the curfew and you're kicked out. So there's multiple factors that kind of come along with people living right on the edge, including being check to check or living in temporary housing, like single suites or the, the other types of weeklies. They might get evicted for, uh, you know, having three people instead of two in their home for X number of hours. The catch-22 about extended stay motels is they are de facto transitional housing for service providers, for the county even. They doled out a certain amount of money because it is, technically, it's giving someone a, a roof over their head. And so that is better than being in places that aren't suitable for you to actually sleep in. And so they are giving a roof on your head. So it's this catch-22 of like, they exhibit predatory practices, but then also... We have to use them for social services to actually house people t- temporarily. Yeah. And you know what? I think when I was talking to Kim Foster, she said that children who, even if you're living with your your parents, your family, if you're living in a weekly, you're not considered to be housed. So, yeah. So according to McKinney-Vento Act, which is, that's kind of a very brief overview. It's educationally related. It's what the school district relies on. So their metrics they count people, their students living in extended stay motels as homeless too. And so we do have differing definitions of homelessness and housing insecure at play when we do various counts. So that does make the the notion of getting an adequate picture a little bit challenging. Yeah. So do you think that there are policy changes in the works that could help with not just like the rent going up, but also preventing people from becoming homeless. The biggest policy change that we've been investing in as a state was the governor announced that he would pledge $500 million in the creation and preservation of affordable housing. And uh, that, was, that was my first show on CityCast. Shout out for first show <laughs> to talk about the breakdown. But we are seeing applications starting to be reviewed for the first part of that money. So we'll probably see that be approved and dollars be allocated sometime in the next few months. However, it takes some time for you to actually create affordable housing. So they're saying you won't even see new units from 
these projects probably for like another year at the earliest, but that is half the solution. The rents are increasing. The Culinary Union earlier this year launched a ballot initiative to try to cap rents at 5% from increasing year to year at 5% in the city of North Las Vegas. North Las Vegas City Council recently rejected that motion saying they didn't have enough signatures the signatures to put it on the ballot. So the culinary is more, more than likely, they said they're going to sue to try to put this on the ballot because they think that they met all the requirements. But that was one part of the solution, looking at how we deal with these rents. So we have that aspect. I know Congressman Horsford, when he was touring a few centers in May with HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge, and both of them were talking about the number of private equity firms that were coming in and buying up all these homes and making it so inaccessible for people to access housing and raising our rents too. And so there's some talk about looking at regulating that federally. But other than that, we have to look at why these rents are rising. We can invest all the money we want to into affordable housing. But if we're not looking right now about these rents and how people can afford them, like People are going to continue to fall through the social safety net, and we're going to potentially see these numbers increase for homelessness. Yeah. Why do you think that rents are rising? I think rents are rising partly because of corporate greed. Let's be real. Hmm. Raising rents on a senior for, or actually I'm raising rents on anybody because we keep focusing on seniors, but it should be everyone by three, four, five hundred $500 does not match natural inflation that you're claiming exists. I understand that there are people that use rentals as investments that own one or two properties, but I also understand that there are larger corporations that have a giant portfolio of apartments and condos, and they are doing financially okay, and they're raising more than what they need to actually survive. And that's why there's no reason for your apartment to go up $300 if it's the same apartment you had last year. My apartment didn't get a new washer and dryer. It didn't get a new... (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Didn't get a new refrigerator. Like It didn't get a new anything, but I'm thankful that I have not personally face that steep of an increase. But so many people are saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm in this place. I've been in this place for so long. Nothing has changed about it, but somehow it's $300 more. I don't understand. The math ain't mathin'. And on top of that, I think it is, you know, are we paying people enough for for the work that, that we're doing? I know for my husband, like his job is based on the East Coast, but he works here. And they've been his boss luckily advocates for him to be paid more to make it commiserate with what people are getting paid in DC. Because I mean, the cost of living, we're getting, we're all getting real close to looking real similar in, okay, the rent is too high. <laughs> like the rent is too high everywhere. So I really appreciate that that's what his boss does. But if not, then they would just pay him less because they're like, oh, well, you're in Nevada. Cost of living is less in Nevada. And it's like, I, it's not looking that way anymore. Right. That's why I'm so glad that we're talking about these homeless numbers in the lens of rent and housing. So so many people think those two ideas are divorced from one another when they're completely tied to one another. Rent, wages, homelessness, all overlapping ideas. Like These aren't issues that exist in a vacuum. They all interplay with one another. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Michael Lyle, thank you so much for being on CityCast Las Vegas again. It's always a pleasure to have you. 
Vo, you can have me up back anytime. You know I'm hey. here. <laughs> You can read Michael's article entitled Southern Nevada Homeless Count Finds More People on the Streets on NevadaCurrent.com. So check it out. Here's a little more news before we let you go. A new survey shows a widespread support for some gun control measures. 80% of us believe in background checks and 70% approve of mental health checks when buying guns. So we're open carry, but you know, let's do this responsibly. So next week... Randy's Donuts is coming to town from L.A. It's famous for the 23-foot donut sign you've probably seen on TV or on the big screen. It'll be located on Rainbow near Sahara. So if that's your jam, get up in there. That is all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Don't forget to share the show with a friend rate it, and leave us a review. Definitely subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. We're bringing donuts for the showgirls. Uh, (laughs) 